Welcome to the IoT Security Podcast, powered by Phosphorus Cybersecurity, your source for securing the extended Internet of Things. Join the conversation with your hosts, Brian Contos and John Vecchi. Hello, everybody. You're listening to the IoT Security Podcast live on Phosphorus Radio. I'm John Vecchi. And I'm Brian Contos. And we have an amazing guest today, Chase Cunningham, the one and only. Welcome to the show, Chase. Hey, thanks for having me on. Dr. We've, Chase, welcome. Dr. Chase. Yeah, We've been trying to get Dr. <laughs> Chase on the show forever, uh, but your, uh, your, your schedule is quite busy. Uh, so we're glad uh, that you made yeah. some time for us today. Uh, yeah, glad to. I, uh, I try, I, I try and carve, uh, carve time out, but lately it's just been go, go, go. It, it's feast or famine, right? Right. Exactly. 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 Yep. All right, buddy. So, you know, for, for those folks that don't know, you're a pretty well-known guy, but for those that might be new to the industry, maybe you could give everybody a little bit of background about you and how you came up and what it is that you do today. Uh, sure. So I'm a retired Navy chief. I was a cryptologist in the Navy. Uh, then after I got medically retired, I went and worked for NSA for a while. Um, I did some other work at other three-letter agencies. I was lucky enough to get over to Forrester Research. Uh, John Kindervog kind of handed me the torch for Zero Trust, created the ZTX framework there, uh, and kind of launched that into a, I guess you'd call it a, a broader market initiative. And then uh, follow on to that, I was uh, the chief strategy officer at Aircom Software. I was recently acquired by uh, uh, Ericsson, um, and then uh, I've just been kind of doing my own thing along the way, trying to stay as engaged in the space and, uh, you know, get, in, get into every, every spot in cyber I can. I mean, I think a lot of people aren't um, as lucky as I am to find something that they genuinely enjoy and, you know, that they think that they're doing something somewhat valuable in uh, <laughs> And for me, it's it's cyber all day, every day. Yeah. And well, and you're a writer as well. Maybe you could talk to the folks about some of your both mm -hmm. fiction and nonfiction works. Yeah. So uh, we've, my, my really good friend, who's like my sister from another mister, Heather Dahl and I wrote a couple of comic books on cyber called Sinja, C-Y-N-J-A. Um, I've written uh, three fiction books now, uh, one with the partnered up with General Greg Tuhill. Uh, and then I've also written uh, one of my uh, novels is a, uh, an artificial intelligence novel called Gabriel, mm -hmm. which I'm currently writing a second one because uh, I actually had people tell me they wanted to read more. So I had to start that. I've also got a, a cyber warfare book that's in the, I didn't even know we had this, but a cybersecurity hall of fame, which is kind of cool. Wow. And now I'm working on another book on leadership with Wiley Publishing. So I, I like to write, even if people don't read it, it's just cathartic, you know, and you get to put your thoughts on the page. Wow. I look forward to that. That's a lot of stuff. And I know you, you've been busy, like you said, your people can see you on, on a lot of places and, and you also do quite a bit with another very good friend of the show, Richard Steenen. So I know you do, do a lot with Richard and people can see your, some of, some of that, those products and podcasts and things. And, uh, Richard, you know, has, has books as well. So you two together are quite a, quite a force to be reckoned with there. Richard's awesome. He's, uh, you know, he's one of those guys I want to be like when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So Chase, when we look at the cybersecurity landscape, and I know this is a, a question you get asked a lot, but I've, I've, I've heard you answer it in different ways over the years as sort of more facts come to come to be and technology changes and perspectives. But how do you see the sort of 
the threats, the trends, the cybersecurity business priorities kind of today and where they're going and maybe where they've been. How, how is that all evolving? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting you ask that because I'm actually working on a, a, a paper. I, I've pulled the last five years worth of Verizon DBIRs, which I think those are kind of like a biblical reference in cyber. Mm-hmm. I literally wait every year to read that paper. And then I'm comparing that to kind of where the market has gone with technology and valuations and whatever. And what you see that's interesting is we've continually had the same problems based on the DBIR for the last five years, even though we've seen the same growth and investment, actually like an inverse of it, over that same time period. And what that means to me is that there's been a gap until recently where people were trying to just buy technology to solve the problems rather than taking the time to step back and go, what are the fundamental things that we have to fix to eliminate the threat or reduce the risk? And then let's get technology to align to that need. And that that's where ZT came along, but we're still in the early days of ZT being the strategy that's actually driving that. I think if you do the same analysis by 2030, it'll be a different uh, inflection point because strategy will finally start to eat technology acquisition. Mm-hmm. So, Chad, that that's a interesting way to look at it. And, and so, can you talk a little bit about how you tie what you just said into what is the prominent threat landscape today that that strategy should really address? I mean, obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about the focus of this show, which is what we call XIOT, the IOT side that includes, you know, traditional enterprise IOT, the OT, the industrial control systems, the industrial IOT, the IOMT, and all that stuff, right? But in general, can you talk a little bit about how you're seeing the attack surface uh, its changes and how you, how companies should really be thinking about their strategy relative to that? Oh, I mean, the attack service increases exponentially. Um, everyone talks about Moore's law, right? You know, 2x two, two mm-hmm. basically continues to grow, but it's really more like dog years. It's probably like 6 or 7x whenever a new technology or new capability comes in the space, the threats increase uh, at a proportional sort of exponential level. And that mm-hmm. as we have more, we're only generating more problems and more threats. And to your point on OT, IOT, XIOT, all those things, we're we're basically creating the same problem we had with the internet, um, and but we're doing it in a much more modular, much more dispersed fashion with all this IOT stuff. And if you never had uh, a wireless smart, quote, smart device in your house, you're probably not aware of all the things that those machines do and are capable of. And mm-hmm. that that just becomes more problem. Um, I think the the fundamental issue that we deal with really is also that folks are always striving for this concept of like perfect defense of no compromise, no breaches. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to happen. It just doesn't exist. Uh, the space moves too fast. The bad guys move too fast. Innovation um, essentially comes at you from the far end of that equation. So that's why like when I, when I do workshops with people, I talk to them about the first thing is accept compromise. Like you're going to have mm-hmm. things go wrong and that's okay. All the companies that have been breached actually are still around, the majority of them. Um, mm-hmm. Statistically speaking, they actually do better post-breach. Um, stock prices go up and whatever else. So it's, it requires a shift in thinking and it requires something that most people don't like to do, which is to be really honest about the problem and say, what are we doing wrong? And then how is what we're doing wrong empowering the adversary? Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm wondering, you know, when we start, you know, both you and John mentioned sort of a little bit about the XIOT landscape and whether it's uh, printers or voice over IP phones or digital door locks or uh, to your point, Chase, maybe a wireless access point or even these medical devices. There seems to be a tremendous amount of focus on this from nation states and cyber criminals. Why is that, do you think? Why, why is, is it just because of the sheer volume or what's what do you think is driving that in sort of the attacker space to say, hey, let's put some of our cycles to focus on XIOT now. So like when I was a red teamer, um, one of my favorite things to do was go after wireless printers because Mm -hmm. no one ever thinks about what's in a printer, right? Printers have memory, they cache stuff. And what do you do with a printer? You print out all the stuff that you need for the purposes of intellectual property and whatever else. So if you can get to a wireless printer, you can get all kinds of valid, very good information. Oh, and by the way, they're usually networked into the whole network, which is kind of like a flat point and you can maneuver and pivot from there. So those devices are, they're low hanging fruit for adversaries and they typically have got way more valuable information than people give them credit for. Like everyone still focuses on databases and cloud and those types of whatever, which obviously that's necessary. But if you're looking for ingress and you're looking for egress, where they're going to take stuff from, that's a great space to start. And the issue that you deal with too with APTs and nation states is they're under directive from their government to wait. Like I, I liken them to uh, crocodiles. They'll, they'll wait for a year to have six seconds of attack because that six seconds of attack is going to feed them for months on end. Mm-hmm. And that they're not just running around going at everything all day because they can. They, they're there for the long haul and it's okay to wait and just stay under the noise floor. And those, those devices give us um, really good access and allow you to do that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's about the persistence, right? I think that's a great point. I mean, you look at, you know, whether it's, it's, it's Russia or China and they all have their own type of targeted, you know, threats and advanced persistent threats that are targeting these devices, as you said, Chase, right? And you, you look at something like even the OTICS side, the you know, programmable logic controllers or all of these things that are controlling kind of industrial manufacturing, critical infrastructure, and they're targeting them, um, right? And it, it sounds like, as you were saying, they can they can compromise them. I mean, one of the things we talk about on this show a lot, Brian and I talk about it, you know, like in our sleep is most of the credentials on these devices are, are you know, default. So you can look them up on Google. So, I mean, if it's pretty easy, right? You don't you don't need to be some sophisticated hacker necessarily to compromise that device. I can just go and look at the credentials and chances are that's what it is. Um, but if I can compromise that device, I can just, I mean, no one's looking at these things right there. Um, and I can just sit there, right? I could have persistence and maybe from their pivot, as you said, right? Is that kind of how you see some of these threats targeting those types of smart devices? Yeah, and I, I always, uh, I think Shodan.io is a great way to gauge the sort of, you know, presence of the space. I look at Shodan every morning. I wake up and jump in and go look and poke around and see what's there. And I see ICS, I see dams, I see wind turbines, I see uh, water control systems. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things where the segmentation of those types of assets and networks is usually not very good because they are... We need uptime. We need them not to ever go down because it's a system that provides critical services. However, 
that's also a dual-edged sword, right? If, if that is always up and no one takes the time to segment it because it could cause problems, you're only at opening it up for someone to go from one system into another. And it's, it's ba the back end of those things are connected to other networks somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let, let's kind of double click on medical devices because this is an area that seems to be popping up a lot in the media lately. And if we think about something like, you know, healthcare providers, healthcare payers, healthcare sciences, I think sciences and payers, they generally have relatively large security teams. But if you go into a hospital, clinic, lab, they generally don't have large security teams. Generally, they're on par with maybe like retail. So they don't have a big team. They have a combination of cutting edge new technology, old systems, systems that are black box that they're not allowed to update because it breaks the vendor warranty and all sorts of issues. And on top of that, these are very critical systems that do, you know, life saving things and they, they house sensitive information, people's sensitive medical data. And we know they've been hit by ransomware. You know, it seems like a perfect storm to me, unfortunately, that these healthcare providers are like becoming, if they haven't already become the new ground zero. But how do you see this evolving? Do you see it getting any better with healthcare providers? Or do you think with the addition of all these medical IoT devices, it's just going to compound an already kind of stretched security risk mitigation team? And they're just not going to be able to deal with this. Yeah, I think I think it it just continues to grow the threat vectors and the spaces. And just to give you some um, gravitas on it, like I was doing a workshop with a with a hospital on ZT, and it was a physician owned hospital. So the president of the hospital was a doctor, like a guy that did cardio surgery or cardiothoracic. And at the end of our workshop, I, he said flat out, he's like, "Our job is not cyber. Our job is saving lives." Mm -hmm. Like, understandable. Yep. However. My question to him was, can you save lives if I shut off every wirelessly or web-enabled device in this hospital? And he's like, no. Then your job needs to also include cyber. You know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. that is a, that's a thing that we have to get across to them. But I, I, the, the issue that we really are running into is, like you're talking about, Brian, how fast are they adding devices? What are those devices able to do? Why are they always default enabled to talk to the dang internet, which is mm -hmm. just like not a good idea? And then how can they keep a running asset inventory up and apply controls to it and not make people miserable? It shouldn't be that difficult. I, I can't tell you the number of hospitals that I've done stuff for where I look and I see x-ray and MRI machines that talk to like FanDuel. And it's like, let's, mm -hmm. let's shut that off. I mean, yeah. come on. Yep. Yeah, I mean, we, as an example, Chase, uh, we recently, Phosphorus, we recently did a discovery in a very, very large healthcare organization. And we actually have, and I, I understand in often cases, people don't want to kind of try to discover these devices in an active way. We can actually do that safely. But we found upwards of 90% of life critical devices, including infusion pumps and things like that had default credentials, right? So it, it's, it's just this, again, as you said, low-hanging fruit, right? It's a problem. But let's step back for a second and just what, what I'd love to hear, but I mean, you've worked so much, obviously, on the zero trust side. That's kind of dear to your heart. You really took that to a whole new level from John Kindervog from the Forrester side. You continue to do that today. But when you think in terms of these devices in general as part of the attack surface and you think, you know, having a conversation about zero trust, having a conversation about 
as you said, you, you need to include them. You need to think about the cyber aspect of these devices. They're smart. They speak TCP IP, right? But you can't put CrowdStrike and Tanium on them. You can't do the things you can do to most endpoints, but yet they're kind of endpoints. They're part of it, right? I mean, how do, how do you begin to have that conversation or what would, how do you see that evolving given that it's such a big piece of the attack surface, but it's completely overlooked and it's, and sometimes it's not even considered in the category of traditional endpoints or anything like that. Is that how you see it or how would you address that? Yeah, I, I think that the this concept that needs to be applied there is one that, that's been in military doctrine for a long time. We call it contested space. And essentially mm -hmm. what you mean by that is you're never going to own it. You're never going to have complete defensibility of that particular asset. However, what you do try and do is make sure that you understand what's going on. You understand the, the operational condition of that asset. And then you make sure that you have a way to at least isolate it. It's it's not, can I remediate it? Like you're saying, I can't put CrowdStrike on it or whatever else or et cetera. But at the very least, I know what's going on. I know where it is. I know what it touches and talks to. And if something strange or anomalous occurs, I'm able to apply some sort of control. And if you can do that, you're mitigating a lot of the problems that you're going to have. And I think that, like you were talking about earlier, one thing that people always look for in the space is what's the 100% solution? There's not one. But your goal is to make it where it is not worth the adversary's time to stay on that resource and try and use it. And if you're making it harder for them, they'll find another target. Um, if my hospital is 85% secure and the one down the street's 60, where do they go? Mm, yeah. Well, you, you mentioned a little bit about visibility and attack surface management that I'd, I'd like to explore some. Well, when I think of attack surface management, it's my laptops, my servers, my databases. You mentioned that it might be my yeah. cloud and SaaS applications. It could be users. It could be you know software applications. All all these things are are relatively traditional within a, some type of attack surface management solution. Um, but the XIoT stuff, you know, everything from the layer two switches and load balancers to the wireless access points and the, uh, like you said, the wireless printers and uh, industrial robots, they make up a pretty large portion of the actual devices in most organizations. Do you think that companies get that? They might not have visibility even across their traditional attack service management solutions, users, identity, and devices, let alone XIoT. If, if they do get it, are, are they starting to like integrate these solutions with CMDBs and, you know, SIM solutions and source solutions? Have they matured that point? Or are they still just trying to figure out like, what do I even have? <laughs> and are they vulnerable? And are their credentials bad? Or are, are, I guess, are, are we at phase one or are we at phase four when it comes to managing and understanding these devices? I think the majority of organizations I run into are probably at phase 0.5, yeah. um, you know, where they're just really understanding that there is a problem there and they have to figure out a way to deal with it. Mm -hmm. It's pretty rare that you find one that has a really good inventory of what's going on. And then also on top of that, you run into organizations where they don't even have the policies on like network things where people can't install stuff on their own, just kind of willy nilly. Um, mm -hmm. I did a, a, a red team workshop thing with a, a Hollywood movie studio. And they, they provided us an asset inventory on day one. When we started looking around, they were off by about 50%. Oh, wow. Um, because people would bring stuff in from home, pop into the network, and then do whatever they wanted. Yep. Yeah, wow. And to that end, 
Chase, do you, do, can you, and do you advise and do they understand? Can you apply zero trust principles to these devices? Should we? And how, if so, it sounds like we should, uh, but how do you, I mean, it's tough enough, right? Zero trust is this big, huge thing and no, it's, but is that something that you see um, evolving is zero trust principles on these type of XIOT devices? Yeah, I mean, the good thing about ZT is it, it's just a strategy um, and mm -hmm. people people understand that there's there's a, a way to manipulate a strategy for your particular purposes and needs. So, can you apply zero trust strategically to IoT, XIOT, MIOT, whatever? Sure. Um, the main thing that you're probably applying there is the concept, uh, John calls it the Kipling questions, right? Who, what, where, when, why, mm -hmm. those things. Mm -hmm. If you can know that and apply a control you're applying ZT at some shape, form, or fashion. Now, the other thing that I think people should do if they really want to have uh, effective strategy in place, and it's something I always advise in my first shot over the bow, is you need to run a real red team op because if your goal is to defend yourself from compromise, you should have someone try and compromise you, mm -hmm. um, and that will help you be better prepared. You know, you're, you never want to be the black belt that's never left the dojo, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now that's interesting. So let, let's let's explore that a little bit because you've you've done a lot of offensive work over the years for a lot of different organizations and, and agencies and whatnot. Do you have any interesting stories from the trenches, you personally, or or things you've heard <laughs> as it relates to these these types of uh, actions? Uh, one of the the best ones was we did a thing with an organization that moved uh, oil and gas, and uh, basically they they had they said that they had a pretty good lineup on inventory and whatever else and. At the end of, I think it was first week or something, um, we found that they had had a, a web-enabled um, valve system that had been talking to the internet for, I think it was like five years oh, wow. with admin admin as the password um, or username and password. And it was, uh, it connected on the back side of that valve manifold to something like a quarter million miles of piping. Um, and it was like, probably something we should fix. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Holy smokes. So that, that, that's one of those organizations where how, how many devices do you think you have? I don't know, 50,000. It turns out, oh, it's like 250,000. Yeah. <laughs> and they haven't yeah. been patched in a couple decades. So there you go, too, right on top of that. Right. And I mean, it was, you know, it was like they were said, oh, well, well, you know, it's uh, it's something we, we know about. I was like, well, then you should fix it. But then uh, the question for them was, like we talked about earlier, if we knock it over for some reason, do we lose service to our customers? And that's a non-starter. Of course, yeah. yeah. Availability yeah. always trumps confidentiality and integrity when it comes to those um, high value assets. Yep. Any kind of asset that controls physics, right? Pressure, flow, temperature. Pressure, yeah. water, flow, healthcare, you know, those, I mean, even in your own home, um, you know, turn the air conditioner off for a hot day in the afternoon and watch what happens. Yeah. You, no one mm -hmm. wants to live that way. Right, right. And Chase, I only begin that and you mentioned it in your intro, right? You you come from the defense and intelligence side. You spent a lot of time there. Um, so, you know, can't help but just try to ask this question around the idea of obviously, as I talked about, you've got nation states predominantly the you know, Russia, China focusing on these types of devices. There's many threats, right? You've got 
I mean, we could rattle them off, right? Quiet exit front on. You've got now the Crystal 2V, the Pipe Dreams, which is like, I call it a Swiss Army knife for attacking kind of OTICS kind of stuff. And then, of course, China now, given, you know, the, the, the Volt Typhoon and all the things happening there. Did you ever feel when you were there, like, it's just not a, a level playing field? I mean, they don't really operate with too many rules, right? They they just cross boundaries and, and go at it and they're in it for the long game or the short game or whatever it might be. Did you ever have that feeling? Or do you think that's changing? How do you think the intelligence and government is looking at these kinds of attacks on these kinds of devices today, given that many of them are controlling critical infrastructure, right? As you said, pipelines, gas, electricity, power grid, railways, is right? I mean, well, if you look at Ukraine, Estonia was a good example too, but you see what happened there. So, cyber warfare, cyber ops is the bridge between espionage and kinetic warfare. And mm -hmm. when Russia was getting ready to invade Ukraine, yep. the first thing that happened was they started messing with dams and power systems and whatever else. And it was pretty overt. Mm -hmm. um, so, it's one of those things where when you start seeing systems being targeted and affected and attacked, like actually attacked that's when you know there's probably kinetic action to follow, which, mm -hmm. you know, that means basically conflict, um, which nobody wants. But where, where we're at kind of on the intelligence side without, you know, getting into any classified stuff is really that our, our folks have done a hell of a job of doing something that they call kind of hunt forward, which means that they've got the uh, capabilities and the legal authorities to push when they see something coming across the wire. Now, do we get engaged in things internationally that could be considered uh, actions by our government? I'm not going to say, but, you know, everybody's heard of what happened in the TANS. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, we're, our, our folks are doing the best that they possibly can. They have the title authorities and the capabilities to do what needs to be done. But um, you're right. We do play by a set of rules that adversaries do not play by, which does put us at a disadvantage in some arenas under some circumstances mm -hmm. yeah and, and chase as we wrap up here you know we we've got these you know cyber criminals that have figured out how to monetize attacks and they've been doing it for a while we've got nation states that are becoming uh more aggressive they're investing uh more more time and effort and resources into uh non-kinetic warfare cyber activities than than they have in the past uh, and on the other side of this, we've got organizations that still have limited resources. They're still stretched too thin. Um, they're talking about ZT strategy. They're talking about attack surface management. They're talking about XIOT. They've got all these things. What should the average organization do, whether it's the CISO or the security operator to kind of maybe not even get ahead of this stuff, but just kind of contain it and, and try to be a little bit more strategic than just fighting fires every day? What? What's some kind of good rules of thumb that they can follow to stay ahead of these things and kind of manage all these new concepts and all these threats? I mean, I think the majority of organizations would be wise to consider uh, partnering with an MSSP, somebody that can take a lot of that load off of them because security is not something where you can kind of dip your toe into it and think you're actually making much of a difference. And if you don't have the resources, the human capital, the experience to do the work, don't partner mm -hmm. with somebody and have them do that. Like I, I tell people all the time, I run my own business. I don't know how to do taxes. I partner with someone that does taxes and I use software to make it where I don't screw that up and go get put in an orange jumpsuit. So, <laughs> you know, you, you can approach it that way. Um, and then the other side of it is to make sure that whoever you're partnering with 
understands what your actual concerns are and the things that you're willing and not willing to uh, to risk because everything is not always fixable. You know, you will have contested space. You will have to make some compromises, uh, and you should focus on where the the vectors are most likely to uh, be successful for the adversary. And as you said, Chase, right, does it also include your point that it doesn't have to be perfect. It's not that you're going to, you're never going to stop these things 100%, but do what you just said. Don't even, you're not going to get it perfect, but do something. Is that the message? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of value uh, in deterrence, and I don't mm -hmm. think people give that enough credit. You know, if, and I can tell you from, from being on pause, if you're doing work and you start getting into a spot where it's like, I can't get past this. You go looking for other avenues and that's what you want. You want them to be like, look, I, I'm stuck. I'll go find something else. Yep. And it might, it might suck for your neighbor down the road, but it ain't me. Yeah. <laughs> Run faster than the other guy when the bear's chasing you. I yep. mean, if there's a zombie horde and you trip <laughs> on your, you know, tennis shoe, sucks for you, pal. Yep. <laughs> and uh, Dr. Chase, if somebody wants to uh, check out some of your books, where's the best place to, uh, to go? Yeah, so go on uh, Amazon and look up my name, Chase Cunningham, and you'll see a bunch of books in there. You can also find stuff on my uh, Dr. Zero Trust podcast site. Everything's linked up there as well. Awesome. Wow. Amazing. Uh, Dr. Chase, we could talk to you for another podcast and probably a lot more, um, but it was really fantastic to finally get you on the podcast. And thanks so much for joining us today. Appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great talking to y'all. And remember, everybody, the IoT Security Podcast is brought to you by Phosphorus, the leading provider of proactive, full-scope security for the extended Internet of Things. Thanks again to our special guest, Dr. Chase Cunningham. And until we meet again, I'm John Vecchi. And I'm Brian Contes. And we'll see you next time on Phosphorus Radio. Thanks for listening to this episode of the IoT Security Podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe so you can join us again. While you're at it, leave a review. Find out more about IoT security and the podcast at phosphorus.io. See you next time on the IoT Security Podcast.